Okay. Thank you for coming on this beautiful day when I can think of a lot of things that people could do outdoors, or maybe you did it all already and you're tired and need to come in and rest. Okay, um, thank you for sitting up and spreading a little bit. Good direction following or request following. Yeah, because last time we were like heavy this side and then stacked back and then I like to be here instead of up there. So we're just experimenting a little bit. Right, right. And a lot of you like to be way back there or way in the corners and not up here. So thanks for what? Oh, recliners, like the movie theater. That'd be real dangerous, especially at this time of day. Yeah. The other thing we're going to try today is this, if somebody... Um, is going to share because I do want to be more interactive and I did get some feedback last week because there are people that are watching um, I don't know about the live stream but I for sure know the recording because there are people who travel for work and are out of town and they want to kind of keep up and so one of the things that they said was that it's really hard to follow um, I'm not very apparently very good at paraphrasing what people say in a conversation um, so maybe this will be helpful. So we'll try this, see what kind of feedback we get. Um, and if you're, if you're really like opposed to talking with this, I'll paraphrase for you. I don't want you to not talk because you don't want to use this. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day and just um, the reminder that... Um, Things are new and they are beautiful and that you are the creator of all of these wonderful things. Lord, I pray that your presence will be felt this evening, that in this community we will understand what it is that you have intended for us to live together, to love together, and to do your will together. Lord, I pray that our conversations would be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that you would be honored in our conversations and our to in the topic of community. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, um, we really talked about, kind of set the stage for community. And we talked about um, this idea of social location and spiritual location um, and what, which aspects of those we need to consider. Did you walk away from last week pondering anything? Was there something that kind of lingered throughout the week um, that you really thought about or paid more attention to or just lingered on? Anybody willing to share anything? Lee, is this on? Nope. Okay, we'll just do it this way. You tell me, and I'll repeat you. Orthodoxy and orthodoxy. Praxy. Praxy. Mm -hmm. 
I really was, I didn't know the difference between them. Mm -hmm. I never heard orthopraxy before. Thank you. Okay. And therefore, I really felt very strong about living what I believe. Yeah. Okay. It's really strong. Yeah. So Judy... Yep, Judy is talking about the idea of orthopraxy and orthodoxy. Orthopraxy was new, that right doing, or and orthopraxy being that right thinking. And so we talked about how they have to overlap. They can't just kind of be like this Venn diagram, partially overlapping, but really overlapping. Yep, yeah, so being very cognizant of living what you believe, right? Which is the point of you know, the kind of the core of what we're talking about, living in community, what does that look like in light of what we believe to be true about our faith and who God is. What else did you ponder? Yeah. One of the things that bothered me is that yes, we're supposed to love our neighbor and accept everybody's ideas. When you look at a hot button political issues of the day, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So in today's world, there's a lot of like hot buttons that we have politically or socially that are kind of um, um, food for debate or argument. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to listen to what other people have to say. And so what in I think that in in light, I don't know that we can answer that, but maybe we'll have a better answer as our weeks go on. Um, this week, we'll talk about dignity and then also gratitude. And so a posture of dignity and gratitude, how does that play into our ability to listen? Um, I oftentimes think about... Um, I had somebody actually come in the office today and it was somebody off the street that was church shopping. And so she asked some questions of me. Um, and she a I know that she was looking for a specific idea um, or thing. And she, was, she wanted me to say, we believe this. Um, and so it became very clear to me pretty quickly that, that she was looking for the right answer that would make her you know, happy or want to be here. Um, and so I listened, you know, I said, help me, help me understand what it is that you are looking for, what it is that you are hoping for. And she did. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily align, but um, I shared, you know, Timberwood's kind of foundation and theology. And then I, I invited her. I said, come on a Sunday morning. I promise you that on any given Sunday morning, you can clearly see what Timberwood's theology is um, and just our beliefs, and you can experience our community. So, yeah, I mean, it is hard. It is hard when we can be so polarized, and I feel like it was really accentuated with COVID and the political things that happened during that. Um, yeah. What else did you contemplate or just kind of stuck with you? Can I give this to you, Marilyn? It's apparent to me how my community has changed, you know, from 
teaching Sunday school and being in every youth group and every board and every committee to not doing that now. And my community is the other 70 and 80 year olds around me that need help. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm gonna be one of those that don't happen to be today, but um, whether they're, they're not necessarily church people, but they're our acquaintances yep. and people around us. And, and that is my duty as well. Yeah, yeah, our community changes, right? I mean, like 10 years ago, my community was, um, you know, community basketball and other people that had elementary kids. Now my community, um, as in regards to the stage of life I'm in, um, it's high school and it's big kids and it's big kid teenager things. <laughs> so you should just pray for Steve and I, um, who's not here yet or won't be, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, stage of life changes, and so, and so then our community shifts, and what does that do to our thoughts and, and views of how we interact in our community? Yeah. Um, oh. uh, <laughs> I'll paraphrase for you if you want me to. Um, I, we're um, in a different season in our life right now where we have a home church down in Maple Grove, and we're very active in it. And this is our first year where the two of us have moved up here for the summer and took on part-time employment just to kind of figure things out, how it looks, yep. can this work, can it not work. But we really find ourselves missing our church home. Mm -hmm. And we watch online, and then we feel conflicted because we want to continue to keep serving and uh, keep working for the Lord in wherever we are. Right. And so we, we're trying to plug in here, yep. but also try to stay relevant back where we live. Yeah, I think that's a unique um, scenario here just because we have so many snowbirds and seasonal people that live up here. Um, back when I was doing children's ministry and looking at different softwares, they always sold subscriptions based on the number of people in attendance. And, you know, Timberwood doesn't really count. Like, nobody's in the back counting heads. Um, we don't have a real strong need to know how many people are here we, because we don't have to report to anybody how many people are here. And so we feel that if, if there's one person sitting in here, that's enough for us to do what we do. And so, um, yeah, where was I going with that? Oh, Snowbirds. Yeah, 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 Snowbirds. Okay, so they do these subscriptions, and they're like, what do you mean you don't know how many people are there? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I know we have 750 chairs in our worship center. We have two services. I honestly, I cannot tell you. Like, in the summer, there could be 1,000 people here. Okay, well, let's go with 1,000. Well, then that's, you know, more. <laughs> so, yeah, it is different. I think this community is different as well, and I said, and I think the for the the good thing for you guys is that it it is not unique to you. There are a lot of people in very similar situations um, that you find yourself in as well, and I think we're pretty comfortable. Well, I don't have people my age necessarily that are snowbirds, but I think that generally speaking, our community is pretty um, fluid with the relationships with our people coming in and out, especially with small groups. It's pretty fluid. We have a few small groups that are starting that are specifically for like people who are only here in the summer, and so they'll meet in the summer because a lot of our small groups don't meet in the summer. They meet during the kind of the school year. Yeah. Yes, Molly. Thank you. 
Right. But it's so, it kind of leaves a little bit of an empty spot in your heart to have someone leave that you're close to or that you're comfortable with and you're so happy when they come back. Yeah, yeah. And your home church probably feels the exact same way, right? They miss you. And then we're like, hey, welcome back. Yeah. Anything else that kind of stuck out from last week? Okay. So um, our topic today is um, dignity and gratitude. And after last week's class, um, a video was sent to me and um, I watched it and it, w it was like, this is what we're talking about. Um, so Jim, will you come up? Or do you want to stand where you are? No, you should come up so you can be in the camera. Um, so Jim, as part of um, the Brainerd Rotary, put together a video called um, Who's My Neighbor? And so that goes along with this whole idea of community. And when we talk about, like, we are community, the Brainerd Lakes area is community, but when we talk about larger scale community, who is our neighbor? And so I'll let Jim introduce or just kind of tell you about that video. Um, and then I'll show, I'm gonna show the last probably about five minutes of it. So the, uh, the video Amy's talking about, I put together for a fundraiser for the Faith Project. Faith Project actually uh, is part of Timberwood Church. Rick and Kathy Adams, members here, have had a mission in Haiti for 10 years. And a few years ago, they did a fundraiser, and uh, they asked uh, if I would give a talk for the fundraiser. And we brainstormed a little bit, and we came up this, with this idea of uh, talking about travels that Murray Lynn and I have done around the world and how we have found our ability to interact with strangers in the world, wherever they are. So the talk has just a series of short vignettes, little sketches of encounters that we had with people in our travels, there's maybe 10 or 12 of them. But in every situation, people didn't know us, but they were nice to us. And uh, Amy's just gonna show one at the end, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you an example. We were in rural India in a hotel, and we had a free afternoon, and I thought, I'd like to ride, my, ride a bike through here. It was hard packed dirt roads through rural villages. So I went back to the hotel, and at least three or four people said, no, there's no bikes to rent around here. There are no no bikes. And finally, about the fourth or fifth person I talked to was a guard at the gate, and I said, anybody ride a bike to work today? He said, yeah, lots of them. I said, do you think you could find a bike for me to ride? And he said, sure. And then he went out, and in a few minutes, he came back with a guy pushing his bike. And the guy offered me his transportation, his personal transportation that he'd ridden to work. No questions asked. All he, all he said is, uh, I'd like you back by 8 o'clock. <laughs> and this was kind of early afternoon. <laughs> and he said, I'd like you back by 8 o'clock because that's when I'm off work and I want to go home. And he knew nothing but my room number. He didn't ask for money or anything else. He just offered his bike to me. And another similar sketch in this talk is, happened in China. And we were visiting a tourist site. I think it was an imperial palace maybe. And it was tourists from around the world, including Chinese. And in the crowd, as we're milling around, I saw a guy in the distance who was distinctive. He was probably a foot taller than all the rest of the Chinese. He was Chinese, wearing one of these conical hats like you see people in the rice paddies working. And he had on a brightly colored shirt. And I thought, how am I going to get a picture of this guy? 
And we were sort of working our way toward each other in the crowd, and we were about 25 feet away from each other, and he looked at me, made eye contact with me. And then he raised his camera, and to photographers, this is a universal sign, I want to take your picture. And he wanted to take my picture. <laughs> so I smiled and I nodded, and he took my picture, and then I held up my camera. He smiled and he nodded at me, and I took his picture, and we both laughed and walked away, and we had never said a word to each other, but the experience just embellished both of our lives. So I, th I think that's just the, the point we're trying to make is that um, people who I didn't know uh, were nice. They volunteered their time, their, their bicycles, uh, and uh, they don't, you don't have to know people to extend kindness to them, I guess, and they just took me at face value and said, I trust this guy. Uh, yeah, I'll help. So. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Go ahead, Lee. A little over a year ago, I was uh, touring Egypt, and I was on a riverboat in the Nile River. And they told us, we're going to have an Egyptian dinner tomorrow night. Why don't you go out and get yourself looking like an Egyptian? So we had a brief stop at a village along the way to refuel and uh, get our boat serviced. And uh, I went out and went to this tourist market and found these guys. And they, they uh, did up this headdress for me. I had them tie it so that I could look like the, uh, the uh, native. The, uh, this is Egyptian Muslim garb. And uh, I decided I'm just going to wear this back to the boat and see if I can't keep it tied up. So what I forgot is after we pulled out a couple hours later, I realized I had left my cap in their shop. Uh, but I, real, I also realized that a couple days later, we were going to be coming back through the same village. So I thought, I'll look them up. But my guess is they will have sold it for a dollar by now. These are good. These guys are good. They know how to work tours. So I did. I went back and I found them. And I said, you remember my cap? And they said, oh, yeah, we remember your cap. Uh, your, your ship was pulling out just uh, as we found it. And in fact, the, the guy who was pulling in the last line, the deckhand, uh, was out there yet. We gave him your cap. And I thought, wow, I didn't expect that. So I went to the manager's office. And sure enough, there was my cap in the lost and found in the manager's office. This is my last a little bigger, more involved story. Uh, this is my son, Mark. In 2008, he was working as an architect in New York, and I got a call that every parent dreads. It says, uh, this is the emergency room at St. Vincent's Hospital. Uh, do you know somebody named Mark Rolas? And uh, I said, yeah. They said, well, he's been admitted here. He's, he's tremendously confused, sometimes hallucinating, and, and uh, we're trying to put together what's wrong with him. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, his medical history is, was complicated, but uh, he developed a very rare condition where you get inflammation of the blood vessels in your brain, no known cause, and it behaves like a, a slowly developing brain injury. And indeed, that's the way it was. He became, over a period of a few weeks, became nearly unconscious from this brain injury. And what we found out is on the morning he got sick, he was in the shower and became uh, tremendously confused and didn't know what to do. He, later he said, I didn't know how to call 911. That's how confused he was. Uh, wandered out in the street wrapped only in a towel and looking for help. And uh, somebody realized this, even in New York, this wasn't normal. They called an ambulance, got him to St. Vincent's Hospital, and they took him in. He had no identification, no wallet, no cell phone, and they took him in and tried to figure out what was wrong. And eventually they, they connected with us. 
So we got there the next day to try and figure out what was going on. But he had been admitted to a psychiatric unit because they couldn't find a cause at this point. And uh, we could only visit for an hour. So we still had really, nobody could figure this out. On a Saturday, they weren't doing any more tests and what was happening. So we went to the front step of his apartment and talked to people who were coming in and out to see if we could recreate what happened. His roommate was gone for the weekend. And up walked this guy who happened to live in the same building but barely knew Mark. And, uh, and he heard what was going on and he said, uh, can I help you? And uh, it started to rain. So he said, come into my apartment. And we sat and talked for probably an hour. And he turned to us and he said, you know, you're going to need a place to stay. You can't stay in New York hotels for a long period of time. And why don't you just take my apartment? And we said, Jose, we can't just displace you from my, your apartment. He said, no, no, I, I have a friend who lives a, about a mile away. I can stay there. You just stay in my apartment. We still refused. So he said, well, okay, at least take my umbrella and you can go with your umbrella. So he kept in contact with us. And a couple of days later, he said, you know, you're going to have to be here a while. And I found a vacant apartment for you. There's a man that I know who keeps an apartment for when he comes to New York, but he doesn't live here. And he said, you could have it for as long as you need it. And I have the key. And indeed, that's the way it turned out. We used it for three weeks with no expectation on his part that, I, that we would be paid or that we would pay him. So Nicole Phillips, uh, you may, some of you may recall, is a writer in the Brainerd Dispatch. And uh, I like this summary of what I was feeling from all, all these little acts of kindness, these people who brightened my day. So I'm going to just wrap it up with uh, uh, several photos without, that I'm going to give without commentary. And I want you to, as you're looking at these photos, remember that five to ten minutes before each photo was taken, these people had no clue who I was. I was a foreigner. Yet they ex accepted me with respect and with kindness. Just look into their eyes and see if you can't see the kindness in their eyes. So at the start of this talk, um, I challenge you, or my, my topic rather was, who is my neighbor? For me, the answer after meeting these people is to say nearly everyone, every, nearly everyone can be your neighbor if you take time to get to know them. But I also said, what brightens your day? And I'd like to turn that back into a challenge and say, whose day are you going to brighten today or tomorrow or the day after? Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. How many of you um, in parts of that were like, oh, I don't think I would do that? I mean, I did, honestly, I did. 
I was like, I don't think that I would be that guy in New York that would just offer my apartment. So there was a little bit of <laughs> conviction in there watching that for me. And so it reminds me, I feel like we have gone full circle because last week we talked about um, Romans 12. And if you want to, you can open in your blue Bibles back to Romans 12. I don't have the number written 948. down. 948? Is that right, Rick? Yes. I think you gave that to me last week too. Somebody else did. 948. So this is Paul writing a letter to the Romans telling them the marks of, true, of the true Christian. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to know, show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm going to go on. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, if I, didn't, if I wasn't going to drop the mic, I'd drop the mic. Like, I don't know how more clear... Paul could be with the Romans and with us. So this practice, we talk, we're talking about these practices, a practice of dignity, a practice of gratitude. So what is a practice? A practice is the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories relating to it. The actual practice is the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories relating to it. We can bring this back to orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? Okay? So this is the practice. This is the doing part. And when you think about practice, practice makes practice, right? So practice is something that you routinely do. And hopefully, like when I think about it, I think about creating habits. So practice makes practice. So the other piece of this, we need to talk about what dignity is. And so digni dignity by definition, when you Google dignity, this is what it says. The state or quality of being worthy of honor and respect. The state or quality 
of being worthy of honor or respect. And then there's a little bit more that goes with it. Formal reserve or seriousness of manner, appearance, and language. I don't think you need to write this part down unless you want to just jot some things down. The quality or state of being worthy, honor, or esteemed. High rank, office, or position. A legal title of nobility or honor. So when this, with the, this definition from Google of dignity, it says in here, it's the state or quality of being worthy. Who's worthy of dignity? Everyone, right? And so what qualifies us as being worthy? What qualifies us as being worthy of dignity? Simply our humanness. Right, created in the image of God, our humanness is all that we need to be qualified to receive and be seen with dignity, all human beings. And so when we go back, because last week we talked about being called, like we are called, right, to be in the presence, to practice orthopraxy, orthodoxy, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. One of the people that I think about, or I, I oftentimes think that people think about Mother Teresa as the ultimate um, icon of service and um, orthopraxy. And it was interesting because in an interview, she said um, she didn't just see the need of the poor and respond to it. So she didn't just see poor people and feel sorry for them and think, oh, they deserve dignity. I need to help them and feed them and live amongst them. What she said is that she actually entered the heart of Jesus. She actually entered the heart of Jesus, and therefore she couldn't not go to the poor and vulnerable people. So in our practice... How do we get to be Christ-like? How do we get to have that heart, the lens of Jesus, to see what he sees? That's exactly what she described. We might see poor people. We might see people that, are, that don't have a home, that are you know, living in tent communities, and I often and we see it here. I mean, we have homeless in the Brainerd Lakes area. We see people at intersections with signs that are asking for something. And we make assumptions about who they are or what their needs are. But I'm challenged, and I challenge all of, all of us, if we are in the heart of Jesus, what does he see? How does he view them? Next time you see somebody on the side of the road, wherever you are, whether it's a hitchhiker or somebody with a sign, ask yourself, what does Jesus see? If I am using the eyes and the heart of Jesus, what does he see? And that's where dignity comes in. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to relate an incident in Progreso, Mexico. Can, we wait, see, can I okay. stop you for just a second? Yes. So Linda and Keith 
are Sunshine Ministries, and so they take several trips down to Mexico, and they bring over um, to help with the needs of mm -hmm. the communities, building churches and mm -hmm. communities, lots yes. of things with kids. Um, yeah. yeah, so I would encourage you, if you don't know more about their ministry, you should ask them. And also, the books, the photo albums that are on the coffee tables in front of the fireplace are documentation of all the good things going on through Sunshine Ministries. Okay. And that book is only for one year. Right, and it's this thick. <laughs> yes. Oh. Okay. But um, with God's love in our heart, we can meet these people. And the one incident that just has blessed my heart is there's a, a homeless fellow in Progreso, Mexico, across the border, and we usually try and get over to where he usually is to be able to give him something, food or water or whatever. But he's just gotten to my heart. I get out, I talk to him, I give him a hug, and I see his dirty hands, and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't matter. He gets a hug, and he says, I love you. <laughs> so now our friend says, it's the love of my life. Yes. But his ma last name is Mackenzie, and I'm always surprised. He's about 60 years old mm -hmm. and um, uh, speaks a little, little bit of English, and he chooses to be out on the street. Mm. People have tried to help him, find him a place. He doesn't want that. Mm. Um, he just wants to be outside, and he's a good, he doesn't use drugs yeah. or alcohol, and he usually goes in and buys uh, a tor uh, tortilla or a, uh, whatever for Coke. him, Coke. And I brought him a backpack with a blanket and water and whatever I thought would work for him. Sweet. But he's just the sweetest guy. Right. Mackenzie. Mr. Mackenzie. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to shed a tear, talk with the Axe Figs about some of the things, whenever I sit down or they share with our staff, I, I cry. <laughs> because I can't believe the things, the amazing things that they're able to do. So thank you for that. So when we're left to our own devices and our own will, we struggle. We're, we can't do this on our own. We need to be able to really look at people and view people through the eyes of Jesus. And we have to see and process everything through his eyes, every person, even the people that we don't like, that we view, you know, politically, we're, we're at opposite ends of things, which is really hard to do. And how do we, you know, how do we do that? I want to read something um, how about Mark. This is the book that I talked about last week. He is um, the president of Fuller Seminary, where I am in school, um, and I really appreciate him. Um, so he writes this. He said, The call to follow Jesus is in part the call to practice living in the heart of God, which is what Mother Teresa said. And he goes on to say, This was the point of Jesus' call to the twelve. Follow me was Jesus' invitation into a new life to imitate to see, to name, and act in ways that mirror the heart and mind of God. As the disciples followed, they practiced this new life. It was not natural 
for them to do this any more than it would be natural for us to do it or for us to do it now. That life was full of the unexpected and often the undesired. Following Jesus meant stopping to see and care for the woman with the flow of blood when every religious and social expectation was to rush on to the house of Jairus rather than to see, name, and heal the unseen woman. It meant seeing Jesus call out to and then accept the table hospitality of Zacchaeus, the undesirable tax man. It meant becoming flushed with anxiety when Jesus um, exhorted the scribes and heresies as he redefined what matters in the reign of God. Jesus was countercultural. That's what this describes. He made people uncomfortable. He made the disciples uncomfortable. And we should also see that he was doing the things that the society in his time said, no, you cannot do that. You can't associate with those people. You shouldn't be eating with a tax collector. What are you doing? And so he was countercultural. I think about this, and to be Christ-like is also this idea of imago Dei. That's the next term on your paper. So imago Dei literally means the image of God. So imago Dei, image of God, is defined as the metaphysical expression associated uniquely to humans, which signifies the symbolic connection between God and humanity. God created man in his own image. This biblical passage from Genesis, which tells us this, does not imply that God is in human form, but that humans are in the image of God in their moral, spiritual, and intellectual essence. We have the capacity to do this. It's a matter of whether or not we can get there. Do we recognize the need for it? Are we willing to try and practice Imago Dei and what that means when we interact with community? These unique qualities make humans different than all other creatures. Rational understanding, creative liberty, the, ca the capacity for self-actualization, and the potential for self-transcendence. So, Imago Dei, we are created in the image of God. We are capable of experiencing and seeing what he sees. We are capable. And that's what we're trying to stretch ourselves with here. We, God's people, are to see, name, and love the way God does. We talked about naming last week. And that wouldn't, didn't we, did we talk about naming versus labeling? Yeah? Okay, labeling is just something that makes us feel good. It categorizes, it, and it might separate us. But naming needs to come from the heart. God took time with names. I mentioned that I wasn't super thoughtful in the name of my kids. I just thought they were cute and old-fashioned. So we struggle with this so much, viewing our neighbors, like Jim saw, or seeing people the way Jesus does. So we oftentimes see people, I think we've been conditioned to see things through a lens of suspicion and judgment and caution. And I think for good reason, I mean, 
there are things that we need to be cautious and aware of. But I have a couple of examples of this, of me being super cautious. So my 18-year-old has this fabulous collection, or had this fabulous collection of red-eyed tree frogs and breeding rare extinct breeding geckos. And he's had them for five years, and he has spent a lot of time, a lot of money, and he's learned so much about them. But he's 18. Now he's like a young adult. Life is changing, and he's reprioritizing things. And he decided that he wanted to sell them. So he posted them on, I don't even know where he posted them, Marketplace, Facebook Marketplace, uh, for $3,500. Now, okay, right? I'm like, are you, like, what? Are you crazy? And he said, well, Mom, actually, over the years, the last six years, I probably have spent around $5,000, his own money, not one penny of ours. And so I feel like for, like, seven years of fun and learning, I feel like this is actually a pretty good return. Like, sounds great. So he actually, I'm thinking, if he gets these, like, no way is this going to happen. He's going to have to sell these pairs one at a time, and he'll lucky to get $1,000. Two days on, he sells them for $3,250. So, of course, I come home, and I'm like, okay, who is this person? I don't know, some lady. Like, where is she from? Rice? How old is she? I don't know. Did she give you, like, some kind of down payment-y something? And he's like, yeah, well, she tried to Venmo me $500, but her bank, it wouldn't go through. I'm like, oh, red flag. He's like, Mom, relax. I'm like, mm, I just, okay, how are you going to exchange these? Because we're this is like a six-foot steel shelf, six by five, like three layers of all of his things. He probably had, I think, probably five or six aquariums on there. He's got an automated misting system that he just picks up his phone and says, Siri, turn on mister. So it's quite elaborate. I'm like, how is this lady going to get this stuff? Like, where are you going to exchange this? And he said, she's coming to the house. And I was like, oh, no, she's not. <laughs> he says, how do you, like, I can't move all of this stuff. Where, no, she needs to come to the house. Like, I don't really like that. You need to make sure that you have a big friend here, not just your siblings. <laughs> So, long story short, uh, we kind of are, you know, I'm cautious, right? I'm a mom, I'm super careful, thinking about, you know, all the bad stories we've heard, which he's like, Mom, you have heard too many stories, like, it's not a big deal. I still have faith in the world, he says. <laughs> Touche, actually. Because... Um, I was like, you can only get the money from her through Venmo, cash, or a cashier's check. To which he says, what's a cashier's check? <laughs> okay, so we're anxious about this. She came yesterday. Steve yesterday, yeah, yesterday. Steve on Monday night was like, creeping on Facebook to try to figure out who this lady is. Like, right, isn't that what every good mom or dad does? Right? We want to make sure he's safe because we're both going to be at work. So he gets his $500 from her, you know, Venmo. And I said, now you cannot load those in her car until you get the rest of the money. He's like, Mom, honestly, relax. I'm like, okay. So he gets up. 
early. And I said, so what time is this lady coming? And he's like, she'll be here within an hour. And I'm like, oh, I need to go get showered and get dressed. And I have to go to work. So who, which of your big friends is coming over? Well, nobody could come over. So I called grandma. I was like, hey, mom, <laughs> what are you doing? This lady's going to come over, and I just need an adult to make sure it's all legit and safe. She's like, okay, I'll go up and shower. I'll be over there in a minute, which she did. Nice lady. Nice lady. Super nice lady, right? <laughs> legit. But I, we've read things. Yeah. I was skeptical. I was worried about her. And so, and I was worried about him, and then I'm worried about him, like, this was a good experience, so how many more times is he going to do this, and then when's the, next, when's the time that he shouldn't have trusted? So we kind of learn this. We learn this behavior. We're super cautious, and it stops us from seeing people or trusting people, and, like, where's the balance, right? Like, I struggle with this, honestly. I struggle with it. And then on Monday, in our staff meeting, I get this prayer card, not a joke. Pray for Ryan, a visitor, by God's design this last Thursday. He came for water, but God allowed a meal, fellowship, and a ride home to Bemidji. I have goosebumps. Pray for the message of hope to continue to grow. What? Honestly. Like, Ryan walks up to this lady's house, needs a drink of water, she invites him in and has dinner, and then gives him a ride to Bemidji. And it's her, like, it's a woman who did this, because her husband's not there right now. So, I'm just like, wow. Wow. I don't, I don't trust like that. I'm super cautious, and I let that filter kind of talk me out of it, and then I walk away, or I don't think about it again. But after this experience and these conversations and the things that we're talking about now, I feel like I'll probably slow my roll <laughs> or slow, slow my rejection or my stop arm a little bit more. There are opportunities for us to cautious, you know, be cautious, you know, does anybody here pick up hitchhikers? Right? Yes, Carol, you pick up hitchhikers? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Didn't. Oh. See, that's why. It only takes one. We only hear about the bad things, right? We actually only hear about the bad things. You know, we don't, we don't hear about this on the news. What a lovely experience and a blessing that that interaction was. So I want to show you um, a couple of slides. This first one, why are we so quick to help this gentleman? Well-dressed, aged, what? He clearly can't run very fast. Clean, okay? So we're quick and we're, we're ready to respond to this guy, but then what happens when we see this girl? Judgment, immediately. 
you're running that scenario in your head. Like, what's her story? Why does she need help? What did she do? Right? We get that suspicion. And so I'd like you to just spend a few minutes quietly, and this is on your sheet, that personal reflection of photo. So spend a few minutes studying the photo. This is the person in need. What do you infer about this person in their life? What are the most difficult aspects of his or her experience for you to imagine? What is easier to imagine? How would you feel if you were that individual or that individual's parent? And what do you think God sees in this individual? So I'll just let you, for just a few minutes, contemplate that. Write some things down. You won't have to share it unless you want to.
Anybody willing to share some of their reflection? It's personal. I don't expect anybody to. Okay. Um, I'm ashamed to say this, but at first I doubted that she really did need help because of the very clean white shoes and the fingernail mm -hmm. polish. Yeah. Do you want to pass back to Terry? Um, I just put down, we will never really know unless we engage with them. Right. Right? I feel like there's something in that message that invites us. Didn't, does anybody else feel that there's an invitation in there? Very discreet message. Yeah. I used to work at a food shelf, and I was the intake person. And the question I had to ask was, tell me your story. And I look at her, and she says, I have no excuse. I just need help. She doesn't say she wants money. She doesn't say she wants food. She needs help. My question would be, what kind of help do you need? Yeah. And right. how can I help you? Right. Or who can I, who do I know that could help you? Yeah. Because sometimes it's not me that can help. Right. Yep. Besides me praying for them. Right. And doing what I can do. Right. What are the yep. symbols with peace, the heart, and is that an E? I, What's in I don't know what that is. Peace, sign, heart, I don't know. Does somebody think they know what, I have no idea. What do you think it is, Phil? Copyright. Copyright? Sure. <laughs> right. That very well could be. Yeah. I think that she certainly is inviting us to engage. I feel like she, um, I would probably be much more willing to engage with her, A, because she's a female, and B, because she's a young female, and I have daughters that might be her age. She looks polite. Oh, right. If it was one of your granddaughters, she, if it was one of my kids, she'd have huge holes in her pants too. Well, I don't know if that's good or bad. Right. Covering yourself up. Right. Yeah. Right. If that was our child, we would want somebody to help her or him. So then when we see somebody else's child, what is our response? If that was our child, we want them, somebody to help them. It's everybody is somebody's child. Everybody is. And so that's our calling, right? Our calling is to see, name, and love with God's eyes, the way Jesus sees. Seeing all others with dignity through the lens of Jesus, that is our calling. That is what dignity is. Any further thoughts or questions about this practice of dignity? Yep. Yes. Yes. Right, right. And you know what? I'm in, so yes. 
we get conflicted because maybe we don't have time to stop or we think somebody else will stop. And I am going to tell you that I use the excuse of being a female by myself all the time for not helping. You know, and I think that that is a socially acceptable reason to not stop and help. But, you know, are there ways that we could? I mean, are there ways that we can ensure our safety? Could we go get somebody to go with us? Could we send somebody, you know? Phil? Well, you don't have to use the extreme example. I mean, the people with the signs are sort of like, at least they have a marketing plan. Right. Everybody has Zs. Everybody right. has. Yeah. Uh, yes. SUVs, like you said, to be a way yeah. or the nudge of the Holy Spirit to yes. open up. And yeah. you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm putting myself in danger. There's plenty of moms that look exactly like you and yep. Right. Thank you, Phil. Yes. We, these are extreme examples. And there are people among us in this room, in our space on a Sunday that have needs that maybe aren't telling us. Um, or maybe you can read body language well. Um, I am, um, I tend to be on a Sunday morning pretty responsive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit because it's a safe environment. <laughs> right? I'm pretty good at being responsive on a Wednesday night because it's a safe environment. I'm good at responding in my office because I work at a church. So I think that we do have to think about, you know, when, with who, it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look like an extreme need. It could be somebody sitting by themselves at the dentist office, you know, there's lots of scenarios. Yeah. Write the date, timestamp this moment. She agrees with her husband. Are you doing? Yeah. Yep. Yes. 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 Yeah, I do think that we have that voice of the Holy Spirit in each of us that will push us, prompt us, nudge us, you know, to respond. I mean, for me, some I get goosebumps. I get, like, my stomach kind of flips. I get, you know, I don't know, like, the, just this weird feeling in my throat. I mean, I feel like that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit telling me to do something. And I'm getting more and more um, willing, if I'm not being really honest, to respond to it in the moment. Yeah, Keith. If a person responds to maybe just a little thing uh, and find out how easy it is, uh, quite a few years ago, uh, Bob Schricker, who started Breath of Life, yep. he called me up one night and he asked if, if I would go uh, fishing with him and take a couple of veterans. And it was a night about like tonight, just beautiful, you know. 
So we went out there, and here were these veterans, and, and one was in the wheelchair, and the other could hardly walk. And they both they, they both wet their pants while we were out there. And uh, uh, one had a difficult time talking. And uh, anyway, uh, we got done fishing and put them back in the, got them back in the car and got them back up to uh, the home up there. And then Bob told me what, what the deal was with these two guys. And uh, they're both Vietnam veterans, and they spent uh, weeks at a time up in the front lines with a big bamboo leaf over their head, you know, protecting us so we could do what we're doing tonight. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has always stuck with me, mm -hmm. that uh, we never know what, uh, what the stories are, what right. the history is. It's just like the waitress that's it doesn't do a very good job, and you think she's really a poor waitress. You don't know what's happening to her at home. Right. You know, so. Yep. Yeah. He's using up all his I'm usually not this <laughs> chatty. <laughs> um, I just I had an incident a few years back that I've I've kind of lived by, and that's kind of my mantra now. I was standing at a hardware store waiting for my lawnmower blade to get sharpened. And I was standing outside, and an, an older gentleman pulled up in a little beat-up pickup truck. And he was about 70, and he steps out, and he was bald. And he had tattoos all over his face, down his neck. He had a cross. He had a picture of Jesus, and then some skull and crossbones. And, it was, and his fingernails were all painted black. And he walked in, and I sat there, and I said, I need to, I got to find out what's going on here. So I said, hey, I said, I saw your nails, saw the tattoos. I said, what's your story? And we talked for about a half hour just outside his truck, and it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, even just asking somebody what their story is, right? Um. I bet you're not. <laughs> I love this. This is what being in community is, right? We need to be interactive. I don't, I mean, we can't just, ex you know, get information delivered to us. We learn from one another in our interaction. So let's switch to gratitude and talk about this idea of gratitude. Google, don't write this down as the definition because I don't like it really. Um, Google says that gratitude is the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for, and to return kindness. I mean, it's not wrong. Um, and you can find tons of books that help you to remember to be, you know, to have gratitude. They have the journals now, um, gratitude journals. I, I went on Amazon, and I mean, it was pages of different gratitude journals that you can, um, you can find. And there is psychology behind the idea of remembering, like at the end of the day, writing down the things um, that you were grateful for or the ways that you see, saw God at work that day. And there is psychology behind that because you tend to um, focus on what is in front of you, right? And if we're, not, um, if we're not feeling gratitude, we're probably grumbling about something. So here is my definition. I had a class last winter, and it was called Practices of Community. So what does it look like to live in community? And so gratitude was one of the topics that we studied um, for a week, and I needed to write a paper and define gratitude um, based on the materials that I read, and this was actually part of it. 
This is um, living into community. Um, my definition is gratitude is a posture or practice that acknowledges God's grace and provision in our lives. It is a posture or practice that acknowledges God's grace and provision in our lives. It is an active response of thanksgiving and praise that plays out in our daily interactions with the world around us. It is a posture or practice that acknowledges God's grace and provision in our lives. It is an active response of thanksgiving and praise that plays out in our daily interactions with the world around us. One more time. Are you good? You're not good. One more time. Gratitude is the posture or practice that acknowledges God's grace and provision in our lives. It is an active response of thanksgiving and praise that plays out in our daily interactions with the world around us. So the word gratitude comes from the Latin word that we hear often as gracias, gracia, grazia, right? We hear that often. It means grace. It means grace. And from a Christian standpoint, like a Christian view of grace is the, um, um, is the free unmerited favor of God as manifested in salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. So as a Christian, we believe grace to be the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners. We are saved by grace. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation it is given to us, that's what grace is, without anything in return. He does want us to follow him, right? <laughs> oh, an acronym for grace being God's riches at, the, at Christ's expense. What do I think about it? I think it's accurate. Yeah. 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 So in another class that I did a few years ago, or just like one class, about Jesus as our covenant representative, this is, this is what this is. The act of grace was Jesus taking the place of the ultimate and final blood sacrifice for us, for our salvation. And so at the root of gratitude, um, gratitude is the ability 
to respond to life in a gracious manner by recognizing our blessings in response and respond sorry let me do this one more time grace is the ability to respond to life in a gracious manner by recognizing our blessing and in response blessing others so because we recognize the blessings that we have we therefore can ought to are expected to bless others so it also talked about in a gracious manner right so you see all these root words right grace gratitude gracious so what does it mean what does a gracious manner look like here are some words that define it you don't have to write all of these down merciful forgiving compassionate kind lenient humane mild soft-hearted tender-hearted sympathetic patient tolerant generous benevolent do any of those words describe your posture in general merciful forgiving compassionate kind lenient humane mild soft-hearted tender-hearted sympathetic patient tolerant generous benevolent I think that those words some of them can describe me at certain points of my life and my day <laughs> but it depends on who you talk to if you talk to my kids you would get a completely different story remember last week I told you my kids accused me of being nicer to everybody else's kids so the Beatitudes from Matthew um, Eric did a class last summer did he do the Beatitudes so that's from Matthew um, chapter 5 and this I'll read it to you you don't have to follow along um, if you don't want to but Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes this is also called the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount and it, it may be familiar And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the Sermon of the Mount. Those are the Beatitudes. This is, um, this is a reminder of the gratitude, that the posture of gratitude that comes 
when we are in communion with God, when we remind ourselves, when we're reminded of the blessings that God has given us, we can also be reminded of the blessings that we are to bestow. And between the Sermon on the Mount and Romans 12, I think we have a pretty good picture of the expectation of what a follower of Christ would look like and the lens in which we would navigate community. Jesus' words draw us to the blesser of all things. So these are the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, are Jesus' words. He was the one who said these. He was teaching. And he's drawing us in. He's drawing the audience then and now, us, to be focused on the blesser of all things, which is God. Keep your focus on God. His words reorient us to the world, in the world, and they encourage us to set our compass by who is doing all of the blessing. So it's reminding us, we use a compass of this world and what the world tells us we ought to be going after, what the world tells us that we ought to want. And the Beatitudes are reminding us to keep your focus, set your compass on the blessings of God and the direction from him. Yes, contentment, a combination of gratitude, acceptance, and service. And we're going to talk about contentment in just a few minutes. So when we're able to recognize our blessings, we are able to express gratitude to God and others. And it looks like these things, when we talk about being gracious, it looks like being merciful. It looks like forgiving. It looks like being compassionate. It looks like being kind. It looks like all of the things that we need to look through, the lens that we need to look through to respond to the woman, the young woman that we saw with the sign, or the person that is sitting by themselves out in our gathering space or sitting by themselves on a Sunday morning here, or somebody that you see in a public space that may be sitting by themselves crying, or whatever it might be or just somebody that you walk by and you get this feeling like, oh, I should ask how they're doing. And sometimes you can ask, how are you? And you know, we're Minnesota nice, so what do we say? I'm good, I'm fine. But if you say, am I good, or how are you? And they say, I'm good, I am fine. My follow-up question is, how is your soul? How is your soul? I mean, that requires a little bit more thought, a little bit more introspection. Like, how am I really? How am I feeling really? So gratitude, what does it look like in practice, brings us back to Romans 12. Paul explained that 
the fitting response to mercy and to the mercy and grace of God is to offer one's entire self to God in gratitude and to community with humility, love, and generosity. So in Romans chapter 12, what Paul was doing is he was linking gratitude to conduct. What does it look like? The orthopraxy, how, what does this, you know, how do you carry this out? How do you live this out? But we have to be cautious. The word conduct, I think oftentimes will help link us to this like checklist. What are the things that I'm supposed to do to look good or to get it right? So many of us are worried about getting it right. And so we want this checklist. Give me the list. I'll check it off so then I know I'm good. Right? And there are, there are people who will give you that list. But we have to remember, like we said last week, our doing needs to come out of our being. Being in Christ. So our heart for Christ, our desire to be Christ-like, view life through the filter of Jesus and what he sees, that's what our doing comes from. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 12. So it's not a matter of having a checklist, what it means, I'm gracious. I'm, you know, I give grace to you maybe not my kids or my husband, but everywhere, right? I mean, I think that we, it is easier to be gracious with other people sometimes when it, than it is to be the gracious with the people closest to us. One of the assignments that I had for my class, I actually had to do write like a rule of life and the practices that would bring me to um, this life of... Um, not a list of things that somebody told me I have to do, but in my own mind, in my own life, what does it look like for me to carry out and live out the practices that I need to, to stay focused? Not so people think I'm a good Christian, but so that I can stay focused and oriented on God. And one of those things is practicing being gracious with my words, because I have um, been known to have a sharp tongue, uh, a sassy wit <laughs> that can sometimes be hurtful if I'm not careful. And so that's one of the things that I oftentimes think about. So how do we make room for gratitude in our congregations, in our communities, in our families, in our friendships, in our marriage? All of these things, all of these relationships are much happier and healthier when gratitude is widely practiced. So what does that look like in practice in all of these spaces? So speaking a word of gratitude or blessing into the lives, these are just examples of things that we could do. Speaking a word of gratitude or blessing into the lives, the first several people that you encounter each day. Find ways to bless others in small daily words of appreciation. Like catch them in the act of being a gift to you. I think about like when I, when 
when I come home and my kids did something like empty or load the dishwasher and I didn't ask them to, like, I can't even tell you honestly how appreciative I am. And I like love on them. I'm like, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate this because I just, you just bought me like 20 more minutes of my day to, you know, sit at the dinner table or, you know, whatever. And you'd think for all of the gushing I do, they would do it more often. <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> they don't. Um, how about if you were to say to somebody, you have been God's grace to me. You have been God's grace to me. Do you know what somebody said to me a long time ago? And I will never, ever, ever forget this. I was sitting with somebody. I invited them to coffee and having a conversation. And I was listening to her. And all of a sudden, she stopped and she says, you know what you are right now? You are Jesus with skin on. I was like, that it, you don't get a higher compliment than that. But I will never forget that. All I was doing was spending time and listening to her. That's all I was doing. It cost me nothing. It didn't hurt. It was time. We spent together. I mean, it was just... So, you have been God's grace to me. Keeping notes of gratitude. Do you get notes of gratitude from people? Do you send them? I have a little collection of them. Here's the other thing that I like to do. I have noticed, um, and I've noticed this for years, and I'm speak I can speak of this in reference to women in particular, in the professional world that I came out of, women have, a ten have had a tendency to not be very kind to each other. Sh I know that's a shock. But in, the, in a professional setting, oftentimes women, I, I experience and I have seen this, what I call the crab bucket mentality, because you know that crabs in a bucket, if you put crabs in a bucket, they'll never find their way out because all the other crabs in the bucket are pulling them down. The ones that are climbing up the side, those ones in the bottom are like, oh no, you're not getting out of here. And so there's this crab bucket mentality. And so I think about, you know, like, what if we were kind, like I am very, I try to be very conscious about um, in, intersecting with strangers, <laughs> like in the store. And now, I mean, it's, not a perfect example, but like, have you ever walked by, I don't know if men experience this, walked by somebody and you're like, boy, I really like her hair. But we just walk by and we don't even say anything. Men, no, I lost you. You don't do that. Boy, I really like your <laughs> golf clubs. Those golf <laughs> shoes are awesome. <laughs> I'm not talking about women. But just expressing a, you know, a, you know, hey, I really like your whatever. Your golf clubs are so shiny. Or I don't know. <laughs> You're, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can we engage in a, in a nice, you know, grateful way? So gratitude in hard, in hard times can be difficult. This is, none of this is to say that Christians should have like this permagrant on and pretend that everything is great all the time because the reality of it is that it is not. And gratitude, you know, in hard times when we're faced with suffering or tragedy or injustice or grief and loss, it can be really hard. 
And gratitude involves knowing that we are held in the security of a loving God, even in the midst of our pain and loss. And we don't have to have a smile all the time. We don't have to be thankful all, every single minute and have a permagrin on our face. Sometimes when we are weak and we cannot do it, that's when your community comes around you and surrounds you with prayer and support and lifts you up when you can't lift yourself and you can't find the gratitude or you can't find the light at the end of the tunnel. And so it's not to say that gratitude is something that every single one of us need to be wearing all the time. Besides these, um, well, I'm going to keep going because we were going to talk about um, the challenges of gratitude. There are some really big challenges to gratitude, I think, in our culture in particular. One of them is dissatisfaction, and one of them is lack of contentment. We are always, we always have this vision of the way things ought to be, or the way we want things to be. And when reality falls short of what we think it ought to be, we very quickly go into action and we will do what we can to make our reality what we think it ought to be, whether it is to drive a certain car, whether it is to wear a certain brand, whether it is to, you know, I don't know, have our kids look a certain way or posting pictures, you know, on social media. So we become discontent and sometimes angry pretty quickly about that. And our culture presents this to us because of this entitlement that we have oftentimes or this consumerism. There's so many things that we can want. It's con we're constantly bombarded with it. And so it's very difficult to be able to think about, you know, what do I really need and what have I ultimately been blessed with? and finding gratitude in what we have. But it can be really hard. The other thing that I think that is a challenge to gratitude is busyness. Because there's so many things we want, we get ourselves real busy real fast. We're busy from dawn to dusk because we're living the life that we think we ought to have, having the experiences that we think we ought to have, and it's exhausting us. And quite frankly, we just don't even have the time to think about being gracious and grateful for the things that we have. So some other things I think that kind of make it difficult is oftentimes there's this obligation for gratitude. Like I give you something, and even though I tell you that you don't, I don't really expect you to say thank you, but really, I really actually do. And then if you don't show gratitude, I'm like, really? So what is the gift, right? Do we have an expectation of thank you? We also in this country have this idea of being self-made and not indebted in any way. Like I did this on my own. But when we have had help from somebody in some way, we have this sense of like indebtedness, like we owe something. 
perhaps gratitude towards somebody for helping us get to a place that we needed to get in life, a job. I am not a self-made person being here, I'll tell you that. There are a lot of people that it took to convince me that this was where I belonged and what I ought to be doing. So I think with gratitude, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that in the absence of gratitude is grumbling. In the absence of gratitude is discontentment. And so whatever it might take, and there's discussion questions on your sheet um, that you can, on the back side, Group reflections that are now personal reflections. What rituals or rhythms of gratitude could be established personally or otherwise that would keep us mindful of what is important? Maybe it is a gratitude journal. Maybe it is that reminder. How could our local and global communities be impacted by the community's practice of gratitude? So we talk about it on a personal level, but ultimately, how does our larger community, the Congregation of Timberwood Church, the Brainerd Lakes area, and bigger, from, like from Jim's video, across the world, how do those people, how do the greater community benefit from acts of gratitude that we might be practicing? So I hope that you will reflect on that, like acts of gratitude, personally, and then what ultimately the impact would be, because there is an impact. And next week when we come back, I'd like to just start with a conversation about going back to this idea of gratitude. If we are practicing, if we have a posture of gratitude, what impact that will, will that have? It might not, I mean, we can't sit here and think, well, little old me, like I can't have that great of an impact on, you know, I don't know, somebody in China or India, but we can. And so what might that look like? And we'll start there next week, but let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here this evening. I thank you for the opportunity to honestly have conversation and struggle with what it looks like to have a posture or a practice of dignity and a posture of gratitude. Lord, I pray that as we go our separate ways and we go about our business this week, that you would remind us that you would give us that nudge or whatever it is to keep in mind, to pay attention, what is the gratitude that you want us to see most? And what impact can that gratitude have on the community around us, small and big? Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us this week. Help us to contemplate and see examples of this and bring them back next week. I thank you for community and the opportunity to learn and grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. This worked, right? Thanks. I, I'm guessing that I'm going to have some positive feedback, so I'll bring it back. I'd be surprised if I didn't.